You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald, and this is episode number 26. Today, we are talking with Jared Schaefer. Some of you may know him as Flinging Arrows from his YouTube channel. We're talking about his awesome season that he had in West Virginia and in Ohio and in Wyoming. A lot of cool stuff in this podcast. Hope you guys will stay tuned. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome to the first episode of Southern Ground in the year 2019. I am just absolutely pumped up about how 2018 was. You know, it was our first year as a podcast, and we started, I think it was in February, I think it was the beginning of February is when we actually started the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, and man, 2018 just flew by so fast. I think we had a lot of great content that we were pushing, but I can tell you this, 2019 is going to be 10 times better. Um, we got some really big plans coming, and I don't think you're going to want to miss it. I think you're going to want to be a part. We're just really excited about it. This week, me and Michael are talking to our buddy Jared Schaefer. Um, a lot of you know him as Flinging Arrows on YouTube. He also has another YouTube channel called Hunt Appalachia. I think I pronounced that right. I'm not really sure how the those guys pronounce that Appalachia. I've always said Appalachia in my head. I don't. I don't know. I don't know that I've ever said the word out loud um, until tonight when we recorded this podcast. But um, it was a really good episode, and we had a really good conversation. We talked a lot about um, some of Jared's tactics. You know, we are really firm believers in the hunting beast. Um, method of finding buck beds, finding beds, period, and hunting that way. It's just kind of what we've what we've been really focusing on, and it was 
really good episode talking about that and how Jared um, uses those tactics to be successful in his own neck of the woods in West Virginia and in Ohio. Um, and I'm I'm really excited about you guys here in this episode. But before we get into that, I want to give a shout out to our partners at Onyx Maps, at New Breed, at Tethered, and at Go Wild. So all of these companies are companies that we really believe in. We believe in everything that they do. But today I want to talk to you about something really cool that Go Wild is doing right now. So if you are a listener to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, I'm sure that you've heard us talk about Go Wild. If you don't know what it is, if this is your first time listening, Go Wild is an app just like any social media. Think of Facebook, Instagram, um, any stuff like that. But this app is geared towards you as an outdoorsman. If you're a hunter, a fisherman, a hiker, backpacker, if you like to cook wild game, anything you can think of is going to be on Go Wild. You can choose your own content. It's not about the amount of followers that you have. Um, you can basically see the content from anybody who is a part of Go Wild. And there's thousands and thousands of people, like-minded individuals like you and I, on this app. So what you can do is go to the compass on the app. You're going to see a menu pop up and find giveaways. So press on that giveaways menu. And right now, Go Wild is giving away. They've teamed up with Garmin and they're giving away a Garmin Phoenix 5S Plus watch. Um, it's a smart watch and it's got a lot of really cool features. I could spend this whole podcast probably talking about all the features that this watch has. But what you do, go find that post, go to the compass, go to giveaways, find the Garmin Phoenix 5S post, and follow the instructions to enter to win this watch. The winner's going to be announced on January 13th, so you only have a few days from the time that this podcast is released to go and sign up, enter to win this awesome watch. Go Wild does a lot of giveaways on on their um, app. You can find it on the app. You can get... Uh, subscribe to their email list get a lot of cool stuff there's a lot of giveaways that they give away from small things you know a couple hundred dollars of value things like this watch I've seen bows um, archery equipment all kinds of stuff I've even seen them give away um, all expenses paid trips hunting trips really cool stuff going on at go wild so if you don't have the app go get it if you want to sign up for this giveaway Follow those instructions and enter for your chance to win. Um, that's all for our partners segment. I want to give you guys a quick warning, though. The audio, for whatever reason, in this recording on my end did not turn out really good. I, I can't figure out why. Um, something happened with my microphone during it, and I wasn't able to catch it in time. Um, so just bear with me on that. Usually we have a pretty solid quality of recording. For whatever reason, this one was not that good um, on my end with my microphone. So you're going to hear some some little small glitches that um, I'm going to try to fix. So if I do fix them, then disregard this part of the message. If I can't get them fixed, then you're going to um, hear those. So I think that's it. You guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode with my buddy, Mr. Flingin' Arrows, Jared Schaefer.
All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. We are super excited about this episode because we get to talk to a guy who I've wanted to talk to for a little while. And uh, <laughs> I was having a hard time trying to decide whether or not West Virginia was Southern enough to have on the podcast, but it sounds like some of the questions that people have been telling me to ask you seem like West Virginia is pretty deep south. So we've got Mr. Uh, Jared Schaefer, as some of you guys may know him, as Flinging Arrows. We got him here on the line with us straight from West Virginia. Jared, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, Parker. Man, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So for real, like after looking at some of the posts that you've made of your season this year, it was just kind of a no-brainer, like, we need to get this guy on, because I, th- I think a lot of people get something out of a conversation with you, so I really believe that. Well, I can uh, pass along what I know, but uh, <laughs> I can assure you I'm just just like everybody else, just, uh, you know, get out there and hunt hard and get after it, but yeah, be sure be uh, be glad to share my season with y'all. Yeah, man, it'll be fun. It'll be a lot of fun. So we've also got Mr. Michael Pike, who is also calling in from a WMA because he is still trying to make something happen on public ground. Michael, how's it going, man? Uh, I'm good. I had uh, three bucks today uh, chasing one doe. Nice. So um, it looks promising. Then I saw some more does. I actually saw probably 20 deer before uh, daylight. So oh, yeah? that's always good. Well, man, just got to pull out the spotlight. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably fit in, honestly. Nobody so, so, you, so you were telling me that today you had those three bucks. They came in from a couple hundred yards away, right? And then closed distance pretty pretty quick. They ended up working pretty close. Yeah, all the way up to about 40 yards. Um, Dang. And I was, I was in the cutover, so. I was originally just setting up there to uh, uh, basically plan for my rifle hunt, and uh, and I think it's going to be a, a good spot. We have uh, a rifle hunt coming up. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to be able to hunt it on Thursday and Friday morning before I go back to work, but hopefully we can get it done. So you're not going to call into work this week? <laughs> no. No, I'm not gonna call in this Man, week. I don't know. It might be a good week for it. <laughs> yeah, well, I called in, called in uh, last Sunday night for uh, for our you know little trip that we had planned for uh, my stepson and the nephews, so they could uh, right go try to put one down. And so, well, man, I really, truly hope that it happens for you on Thursday or Friday. Like, dude, I'm really pulling for you. I hope it happens tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> that'd be even better. <laughs> you need it, man. You need some time with the family for yeah. sure. So we've got like, Jared, we've got like probably over a month. Let's see, today's the 8th. So we got like a month and two days left of the season. So are you completely done there in West Virginia? Yep. Yep. West Virginia season just closed. Um December 31st and I'm tagged out in Ohio. So, yep, I'm done for, done for the season. Dang, wow. December man. 31st. Well, what, when did yeah. the season open up? Um, in September. 
Yeah, so okay. like September 29th or something like that. Wow. That's, that's kind of a short yeah, season. Not, uh, that's a short season. Yeah, it really is. I'm kind of jealous of you guys that get to hunt in January and February. <laughs> Don't be, dude. Man, I'm pretty sure the divorce rate is <laughs> higher in Alabama because of it, because of that long season. Dude, I, I, yeah, I don't doubt that. My wife's about ready to kill me, so I'm kind of glad it's over. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to tell you all a funny story that, that kind of has to do with that. So um, today, I kayak hunt a lot. And, um, well, I went to Kentucky this past weekend, and my trailer had some bad bearings on it and I didn't want to take it on the trip and so I had my kayak strapped to the top of my Hummer and I totally forgot it was there this morning just out of habit on my way to work I pulled into a parking deck garage and um yeah it it ripped my kayak all to pieces man like my seat it pulled the seat off it pulled my bow holder off just broke it all (laughs) yeah well it didn't take my light bar off because I didn't have it, but it did pull off the Railblazer port that it goes into. Man, oh, man. <laughs> I've been pretty mad about it all day. I pulled it off of the Hummer today and looked at the damage. <laughs> and Man. So I was talking to my dad, and he was bummed for me too, but he was like, well, you know, I mean, at least you're tagged out. You don't have to worry about that. And he said, you know, sometimes... God makes things work to get work together for your good, which is scripture. And and I was thinking, yeah, for like the good of my marriage, you know, like <laughs> I'm sure not being able to go on a kayak hunt is going to be a good thing for my marriage because I'll be able to stay at home now forcefully. So it'll be a good thing for my marriage for sure. But I'm, I'm pretty dang bummed about it for real. Like, yeah, that's not cool it's all. a big bummer. So, um, Jared, so speaking of being tagged out, did, did you tag out in West Virginia? I know you killed a buck, but I don't know how many, how many buck tags do you get there? So we get three buck tags in West Virginia. So I didn't tag out in West Virginia. It just, the season just ended on me. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we get to here in Alabama is three buck tags. Um, okay, gotcha. and and so I saw the one that you killed on video. Is that the only one? Yeah, I killed one buck with a bow um, right before our rifle season comes in. And then uh, I ended up missing one with a rifle on a kayak hunt. And uh, I never did have another opportunity at a buck after that. Okay. So let's let's talk about that, that buck, that one that you killed in, in West Virginia. The one that you killed like the day before... The rifle season opened, right? I think you killed the one right before dark. Yep. Yeah, it was a good eight-pointer. Yeah, so I really I want to talk about your setup on that because it was very... If you're not familiar with Flinging Arrows channel or... um, That was also on your other channel too, right? The one with Grant? Yeah, Hunt Appalachia, yeah. Hunt Appalachia, yeah, that's what it is. And... You have it on both channels, if I'm not mistaken. And if you're not familiar with those videos, you need to go and watch those because they're awesome. Jared's um, production quality is absolutely insane. Does a really good job. Go watch those videos. But you go into explanation of this of this spot, 
of your setup with that. And I want to talk about it because we've got a lot to talk about. And I think we just need to jump right into it and kind of talk about how your season went. So tell us a little yep. bit about how you set up on that deer. All right. So this this spot is it's a big hardwood ridge. It's been logged out since 2012. So the top is really thick, a lot of brush. Um, there's always, it always seems like there's a good buck that, that stays in that area, kind of a, uses as a core area, you know, year after year. So it's kind of a spot that I'll check out. And if there's fresh sign in there, I'll hunt it. And if there's not, you know, I just don't even bother with it. Um, I hadn't been in there at all this year and I'd been hunting other spots, jumping around, hadn't had any luck. And, uh, I just decided to go check this ridge top out and see if there was any rubs or scrapes or anything. So it was, uh, the afternoon of November 17th, I believe it was a Saturday evening. Um, I went out on that ridge and there's kind of a, a four wheeler trail that runs out the top of it and it's kind of open. And the deer use that as a, as a trail, as a runway, just to get in between, you know, the brush where it's really thick. And there was a scrape line opened up all the way down that road, super fresh scrapes and a rub line coming out of the thickest part of that ridge where they normally bed. And, uh, it was fresh enough that it got me really excited because I hadn't seen anything that fresh. And I basically just kept following the rub line until I got close to where I figured he might be bedded on the backside of some really thick cover. And, uh, yeah, I found a tree to set up in at a Southwest wind that day. So I set up downwind of the, the scrapes and really, uh, I thought the season, or my bow season anyway, was kind of over with cause it was getting close to dark and I hadn't really seen much. And I could, I heard the, uh, telltale sound of a deer walking and just happened to look up and this buck just comes walking right down the road. And he stops at 17 yards at the scrape that I was set up over and uh, shot him right through the heart. And he fell over on camera 15 yards away. So it's just one of those hunts that just worked out absolutely perfect. Right. And so, so you said a couple of things on there that I thought, I thought it was really funny in the video. You, you said something like five minutes after I whined to the camera about not killing yeah. a deer today. <laughs> It's super important though, man, like confidence is everything for me in deer hunting. And if your confidence is low, then maybe it's that you don't work nearly as hard. Maybe it's that you don't stick it out to the last minute. But the truth is, is that everything can change about your season in a moment's notice. Your whole season can change in one second. Absolutely. And you sticking it out right there, it really said a lot about the style that you hunt and the way that you hunt. And a lot about how you persevere through even kind of the tough parts of your season. Yeah. I mean, I've always been stubborn that way, I guess. Just stick it out until season's over with or my tags punched. And I was honestly thinking about packing up, you know, right after I did that little interview on camera. And, you know, I just just decided to sit there until it was too dark to shoot. And with just a couple minutes left to spare, I mean, it, it all came together for me. That's really cool. And and it was a heck of a buck too, man. I don't know what the quality quality of deer is like in West Virginia, but in Alabama, that would be a good buck pretty much anywhere you go. Yeah, I mean, up here, that's a pretty good buck. I mean, we don't get, you know, 
giant deer up here by any means. You know, 140 inch deer here is a, is a giant. And right. I mean, he only went probably 110 inches or so, but he was, you know, it's pretty good, pretty good buck. That's awesome, man. So were they, I saw in the video, he was, uh, you were basically hunting over a scrape and that has been kind of something me and Michael in the last couple of days have been talking a lot about is, you know, I haven't really ever been super pumped up about hunting over a scrape because I was just assumed that they're all made at night. Is that something you did on purpose or did you just notice after you set up that there was a scrape there? Like, how did that work out for you that way? Um, I'm with you. I don't really hunt over scrapes because they're, you know, like you said, they're usually made after dark. Um, I knew that on this ridge that the, the scrapes that I was finding were really close to where they usually bed at. So if I find scrapes close to bedding like that, I start to get pretty excited because there's a chance you might catch them, you know, right before dark like I did. But generally, I'm not, I usually don't even pay attention to scrapes unless I can relate it back to a, a bedding area. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, Michael, I know you probably have a lot of opinions on that. What do you think about it? Yeah, I used to have the same opinion as y'all until I hung a bunch of cameras and all these uh, big bucks were working uh, scrapes at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And so ever Hmm. since since that, I figured I might as well throw some sits at it because – Especially that Babe Ruth buck. I mean, he was so consistent. I mean, every southwest wind between like 9:30 and 11. Uh, I mean, he was in there um, during those, you know, two weeks of October, the very end of October, and the very end of uh, November. So, hmm. yeah. I don't and... know. Maybe it's, maybe it's just uh, certain areas or something. I don't know, uh, but. There, he was, uh, yeah, I think it's the most, con- the most consistent I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I've kind of, one of the things I've been trying to learn and it's really hard to do actually is try to find the difference between like a community scrape and, uh, just like a single buck scrape. Um, I thought I've figured things out and I really haven't. Um, but one of the things that I, that I really learned was that there's a couple of spots that I know that I hunt that are just community scrapes where a bunch of bucks are using it and you can just tell, um, have y'all found that those tend to be more productive during the daylight or would those be more of a nighttime kind of area? In my area, I would say, I would say so. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, the area that I hunt scrapes are I really don't find a ton of scrapes, like usually one or two, and they're usually pretty close to bedding. And I don't know, I can't really explain why. Maybe because the buck-to-doe ratio is so messed up, but I, maybe it's just this area too. I'm not real sure. Yeah. It's uh, it's definitely, Michael, you could probably speak to it as well. Like, I was in Kentucky this past week, and it was my first time back to Kentucky, since the rut had already happened um and obviously in a place like that where you have a higher deer density and ohio is probably similar for you jared but you tend to have a lot more buck sign scrapes and rubs and things like that popping up everywhere whereas out here it's it's i'm not going to say it's a rare find but you can go out and find them but 
you can go out to Kentucky and they're just everywhere. You don't have to know anything about deer hunting to find yep. a scraper or rub. And I don't know if, if I would rather not have as many and be able to pinpoint some of the areas or have more <laughs> like in Kentucky. Um, it seems like it'd be harder to pin down a buck when you have more bucks on like that. But you also go out there and you see more deer. I saw more deer this past week in weekend in Kentucky than I've seen in Alabama all season. Yeah. Um, it's been, I mean, it's just an interesting thought is like for you with that specific buck, he came in right before dark, like right before shooting light ended. And that probably had a lot to do with that scrape being there, you know? And so sticking it out until that last moment was, was a pretty important move for you. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so for sure. So when you're looking for areas like that, Jared, um, in the video you talk about like going, you went to one ridge and there wasn't a whole lot of deer sign. And so you just kept going until you got to the next ridge. Were you doing all of that with the knowledge that there was bedding, um, where this buck was bedded at, or was it one of those things where you got to all the sign and then kind of put the pieces together? Um, that ridge kind of holds two different bedding areas. And if there's a buck using it, there's usually pretty good sign on one side of the ridge or the other. So, you know, I was just just going in with the plan of hunting the freshest sign that I could find. And if I didn't find any, I was going to go to a whole new area. You know, I I don't really like just throwing a sit somewhere if there's not a whole lot of sign to go off of or entail. So, you know, I just uh, basically went in with, you know, with my saddle on and was just planning to set on set up on whatever sign I could find. I gotcha. Which is um something Michael could probably speak on, something we've been talking about about doing yeah. maybe more often is finding the most recent sign and setting up over that. Yeah, I, yep. I really like yep. the sign. I mean that sign doesn't lie. I mean if it's if it's there then I mean it's not like you know some squirrels coming down and making a rub or something. (laughs) (laughs) And that's something that's really tough for guys like us who are, you know, hunting the beast style. It's just kind of the way that we hunt. And Jared, I know that you're all about it as well. And maybe it kind of sounds like you're in a similar, similar situation as us where you're kind of realizing that it's not nearly as consistent in places, which is, it's not going to be with, with smaller deer density. Um, but are you finding yourself stepping back a little bit from the buck bedding type scenario, hunting buck beds or specific or single buck beds? Are you finding yourself coming back a little ways from that and leaning more towards hunting recent sign? Are you sticking pretty close to the buck bedding still? Um, it depends on what part of the season. If it's during early season when the deer aren't moving really far, I'm sticking as close to bedding as, as I can. And I, I don't really target a single bed because that's just really hard to find. But I, I'd like to try to find areas that, you know, it's like a, a smaller core area where I know there's at least one buck. Sometimes there's two or three. But it, it seems like here in the early season, if I can find – those small areas they're going to hold several different bucks that's just the way it always seems to work out in the early season um as it gets closer to the rut 
you know, I'm hunting more for the, the fresher sun. You know, I'm still thinking about where they may be bedded at, but I go, you know, more toward the sun during the rut. Yeah, and I think that's something that we get a little bit messed up on when we start hunting like a beast, you know. I know for me, I don't know if, if every guy's like this, but I I tend to overthink some things sometimes when it comes to buck bedding, especially during the rut. And, you know, I think there's definitely a balance that you have to you have to keep when it comes to hunting buck beds, especially for the rut in that part of the season where, you know, sometimes your bug bedding isn't going to be your most promising spot. And that's a tough sp- pill to swallow when you've been spending all summer finding bug beds. Yeah, I'm with, right. I'm with Jared on that one. I'm with Jared on that one because, um, I mean, especially if you're in a lower deer density area, I mean, you could have, you know, a really good bed worn down, you know, to the dirt and you could throw every sit you know, over the whole entire year, and you may still never see that deer. Um, but yeah. I think getting those getting those core areas, it, it really ups your odds. And you know, focusing maybe on um, say if like foods down below or something like that, and you've got a long skinny ridge, um, you know, or a spur that drops off into that bottom. You know, that could be like a good area. You know, if the bedding's up top, you know, you could just um, like a travel corridor in between the two just make sure you push close to bedding so how how close jared i know you you talk about it a little bit in some of your videos how close are you usually trying to get to the bedding in that early part of the season um early part of the season when we still have a lot of vegetation you know leaves aren't falling yet i like to get as close as i can possibly get um i've got one area where i can get 50 yards from where these bucks are bedding and uh i mean it depends obviously on the the terrain and the cover and all that but um man if i can get under 100 yards it i, I feel it ups my odds a lot so i agree do you, find, do you find your bucks bedding up if i remember correctly from your video it seemed like you had a little bit of bluff is that right like uh outcropping yeah, like rock yeah, outcropping and stuff you find them bedding yep. high or low or both or um around here they bed pretty typical of what you know that top third um you know there we do have some bluffs here some rock cliffs and usually around the rock ledges and stuff we have uh mountain laurel and that mountain laurel stays green all year and it's thick and uh those bucks love to bed in that stuff and they'll usually bed on the edge of it, you know, kind of the downwind side of it. And uh, it seems to me like if you can find a patch of that mountain laurel that's on that top third of the ridge on the, you know, the downwind, the leeward side of the ridge, I mean, it, it all, it's almost guaranteed to hold a buck or two. That's just the way it seems. Yeah. We have the same thing up there in Bankhead uh, where we do a lot of our hunting. Um, maybe not so much on the, on the southern portion like where the national forest is but definitely up there in the in the wma it's uh, a lot of steep ridges and bluffs and and that mountain laurel is right there on that military crest and and it's a pain to get in there and hunt it um but uh but i think it would pay off yeah and you know we talk to a lot a lot of people that hunt 
the similar areas as we do. And as you do, Jared, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly mileage, how far you actually are from us, but I think we're actually looking at a lot of, especially across the South from where we're at you, to the East, you got Georgia and you got the mountains there in the Carolinas. You got a lot of that hill country type terrain in West Virginia is the same way. And so it all, it all kind of fits that same hill country terrain features. And one of the things that I'm, uh, that I've found interesting about your setup and, and kind of the way that you, you did it because it's really hard sometimes for us to, especially for guys in this, this type of terrain to, you know, you're really just giving your, your best guess where that buck's going to go from his bed. One of the things I thought that was very interesting that you talked about in scouting that area or, or one of the areas that you, that you shot a buck at in one of your videos um, it was a it was a pretty big seven point that you killed. Um, you were talking about going in there and scouting it and finding a faint a real faint rub line yep. from the bed and that you followed out. Um, I think basically you got down in the bed, looked at where the buck could see, and found the rub line going from that bed. And you set up out of sight from that bed, but on the rub line, which really worked out in your favor, which is a testament to scouting, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, that spot has always been, uh, I'm looking right now at all my mounts on the wall of all the mounts I have, I'd say three quarters of them have come from that very spot right there. And, uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd always hunted it wrong and come in from the top. And, you know, this was before, you know, I took the wind into account and everything like that. And, uh, once I figured out how to access that area from the bottom, you know, with the wind in my favor, um, my success just skyrocketed. Basically, it just took me a while to figure that that spot out. And, uh, you know, the access isn't easy. It's way easier to come in from the top. But to come in from the bottom, I mean, it's a lot longer walk. you got to walk up a really steep hill. And, uh, yeah, once I found that exact bed and looked at that that old rub line because you, you know trees get scarred up from years of you know rubbing that's exactly what i found coming out of that and uh it pretty much just gave his travel route away you know because that that rub line had opened up and i had pictures of him you know i had pictures of him near the bedding area and probably a half mile away so i knew that he was dropping down out of so, that bed headed you know so have, have you killed all of your have you killed all of your deer in the evening or like when you're setting up like that, or do you hunt them in the morning and try to stay away from them? Yeah, all of them have been in the evening. I, now that I've started to target, you know, buck beds in the early season, I don't even hunt them in the mornings. I'll hunt, right. you know, like a safe spot that's, you know, that I can get in and out of without bumping them. But yeah, they've all been in the evening. Okay. Hmm. That's interesting. We talk a lot about that, um, or a, a lot about that. A lot of times out here, it feels like the mornings is just the time when the deer are on their feet, like pretty much throughout the whole season yeah. for us. Michael, would you pretty much agree? Yeah, outside of maybe like the first uh, three or four weeks of the season, um, when they're still in that bed-to-food pattern, um, it it's always better to hunt in the morning. Um, they just don't move before dark. Um, or, yeah. You know, I've never found them. 
film movie before dark down here. But uh, especially during that first uh, few weeks of the season, they're, they seem to move further down here. And they, they uh, you know, before the pressure gets in there, because nobody really bow hunts down here for the most part uh, on public land. Yeah. You, you just about have it to yourself. So they're real at ease and everything. So um, I really like, you know, going after them in the evenings uh, during the first few weeks of the season. But once gun season comes in, it's uh, mid-morning, like around 10 o'clock in the morning. If you don't get something, if you don't see any movement, yes. you know, the first 30 minutes of daylight, for 45 minutes of daylight, then, you know, that, that next window is usually usually around, you know, midday yep. sometime. Do you find the yeah, same and thing? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah, um, and when I say early season, I'm I'm talking before October 10th. Um, I I try if I'm going to kill a buck early season, it's usually before the 10th of October. After that, it's it seems like it just gets harder. I don't know if it's because of my pressure or whatever, but um, yeah, as it gets later into October, I definitely like to hunt the mornings. And like you said, mid morning is usually pretty good. Yeah, we've kind of see the same thing you know every buck that i killed well i killed one buck around 6 40 45 in the morning that first that first light but after that every other buck has been in that mid to late morning for sure um yeah. so that buck i missed uh <laughs> that buck i missed last week was ten forty one. Yeah, we we haven't we haven't talked about that, Mike. No, we haven't. <laughs> we haven't talked about the miss. I kind of didn't want to talk about it until I was ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> so Jared Michael sent me a text. You know what? I'm just going to read it to you. This is this is how <laughs> and I'm sure that a lot of guys on that are listening to this would would relate to to how Michael felt and the things that he said to me. But when I read it to my wife, she kind of gave me kind of like a funny look. Like, really? Really? That's how you feel about deer hunting? Is that serious? <laughs> Hold on just a second. Let me find this text. There's a lot of encouraging messages that I sent to Mike <laughs> after that to try to try to ease the blow. All right, here it is. Here it is. <laughs> I mean, so he sent it to me at 6.20 p.m. on January 1st at 6.20 p.m. So... I mean, that's like a long time after 1041 when this actually happened to be texting your buddy and, and telling him about it. So Michael said, so I missed my chance today. I really don't want to talk about it just yet, but he was a good one. And I was like, I told him that that makes me feel, well, I'm not actually going to say what I said because yeah. it wasn't, some, it wasn't appropriate. This year, so. Yeah, I, that's okay. I usually miss. I miss, I miss, I miss plenty. one or two every single year, unfortunately. I, I don't know what it is, but I just, uh, I can't shoot. <laughs> I, I just can't shoot or split. <laughs> it doesn't matter. How many people have you put on deer this year, Mike? <laughs> Everybody I've taken. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's pretty funny. Yeah. So I showed my wife that text the other day, and I, dude, I was down for you. Like, I said it in a way that I would say something serious. I was like, "Baby, Mike missed a big deer tonight." And she was like, "Oh, that sucks." 
And I said like, like no, like it's a big deal. Like this is a big deal. And she was like, mm, okay. When you do, when you do all of this prep work, you know, like, you know, postseason scouting, and then you, you know, this year, my plan was to practice more, you know, with my bow, and I practiced more with my bow, and I killed both deer with my bow. But once gun season rolled around, I don't know what, you know, what happened. I guess I should have practiced <laughs> with my gun too a little bit more. Um, but uh, I mean, it was an offhand shot, and it was it was between 150 and 200 yards. So, I, and I just got through hiking up a hill with my all of my gear. So, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty tough. <laughs> yeah, I hate it for you, man. I really did. I was. I was bummed. I don't even remember what we were talking about right there. We got off on the subject of Mike's deer. <laughs> oh, we were talking about the late morning movement of, of right. yep. especially this time of the season when you start getting into the season, that late morning movement is pretty important. And I don't remember who it was that was talking about it, but somebody has told me a long time ago, Sometime around when I started hunting public land was the best time to be in the woods is when everybody else is getting out of the woods because you're getting all the pressure that's pushing all the deer, getting them back up on their feet. And um, so I've tried to live by that. Um, You know, with the kayak, a lot of the times the places I'm hunting aren't really where other people are at, so it doesn't matter that much. But Man, I've just found it to be one of the most beneficial times to be in the woods. So I guess y'all would all agree with that. Yeah, that uh, yeah, that late sure. late morning movement. Um, you know, those you know big mature bucks. They'll wait till those uh, does filter back through, and and then they'll get up and go and cruise and um, check those trails. And I also think there's you know you hear a lot about the thermal switching, um, and yep it almost seems like there's two different times that it switches. Um, you'll feel like an initial little bit of a lift earlier in the morning, you know, like around eight thirty or so when those does first come through, but there's just something weird that happens, you know, around 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, all the, you know, wind and stuff is way up in the treetops. It's just, it, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those things you just have to feel, you know, by being out there. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I completely agree with you. And yeah, on the uh, on the topic of missing and the thermal switch and midboarding movement, I actually missed a buck um, early November here in West Virginia. I was sitting on a hardwood ridge where these bucks like to cruise through, and I'm thinking it was about nine o'clock in the morning. This nice eight point comes cruising through right through my shooting lane, and uh, I drew back and executed a perfect shot only i didn't see the limb it was right in front of my bow about five feet away so i smoked that limb and shot right over that buck's back but yeah he come cruising through right about that time so we actually did a podcast just on thermals if anybody's listening to this and um and maybe you don't know what thermals are or you want to learn a little bit about it um we did a an episode with with Nathan Protz, and that was seven episodes ago. Um, it's called Understanding Thermals with Nathan Protz, and it's a really good one that we did. 
if you want to dive deeper into what we're, we're just talking about with thermals and mid-morning movement, when the thermals switch and things like that. So, Jared, we talked a little bit about how you like to get pretty close to the beds if you can, but to be able to do that, you know, you got to stay pretty stinking quiet. So, getting up into a tree. So, you kind of mentioned a while ago that you hunt from a saddle. What are some of your methods with that that help you get into a tree a lot quieter? Yeah, so I use the uh, the tethered mana saddle, and um, I climb with uh, climbing spikes most of the time when I'm on private land or, you know, when we can use them. And, uh, yeah, just sneak in there, you know, as slow as I could possibly go and uh, climb the tree. Um, I guess I've just done, done it enough that I'm pretty quiet at it. And I've actually climbed a tree with the spikes with deer 30, 40 yards away. And, you know, they don't know you're, that you're there. So, um, and that saddle, I mean, there's just no metal to, to clang around. And I think that's huge. Um, I think a lot of guys overlook that, you know, it doesn't take much sound to tip off a buck and, uh, yeah, the saddle just makes it easier to do that. That is so true. This is my first year as a saddle hunter, and man, it's just been absolutely incredible how quiet you can be getting into a tree. And I'm I'm really bummed. You know, I mean, there hasn't been anybody, maybe Michael, you can answer this. Nobody has confirmed to me whether or not on public land out here, if you can actually use like climbing spurs. Do you know, Mike? Not that I'm aware of. Um, you can't. But I mean, I haven't, I haven't actually, you know, asked. But you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to use any kind of screw ins or, or anything like that. So I'd assume it's the same. Yeah, I would assume that. I don't necessarily understand it because a climber seems to do just as much damage as climbing right. spurs. But it is what it is. So. Jared, do you um, do you enjoy it? Is it a pretty easy thing to get into the method of climbing spikes? And I know you talk about it a lot on your channel, and a lot of guys seem to be interested in it. Is that something you found pretty easy to do? Yeah, I mean, I got a set, and uh, I climbed the first time. I only made it about five feet, and it scared me pretty bad, so I had to climb back down. But, you know, I climbed again, and I went a little bit higher, and I felt a little bit more confident with them, and... Uh, the third time I was like, you know what, if I'm going to use these things, I'm just going to use them. So I, I went out to hunt and I climbed 30 feet that evening and I've been sold on them ever since. That's, that's been my main method for the last uh, three years. Have you had any scares using them as far as like slipping or getting close to falling or anything like that? Um, two or three times I've had a spike kick out on me. Um, it's usually the same type of tree. It's either, a really hard bark oak tree or uh, like a like a real thin bark maple tree. That seems to be the ones that you've got to watch and be careful on because the wood is just so hard that the spike doesn't go in very far. So right. if you, uh, you know, if you pick one of those trees, just keep that in mind and make sure you, you know, you can kind of feel when the, when the spike goes in and you kind of know when it's, uh, when it's got a good bite. So certain trees you got to watch, but, um, other than that, I've, I've never really had any mishaps with them, you know, other than just the spike kicking out a little bit. So nothing too bad, man, that, that just sounds 
so much easier than carrying sticks in everywhere and it seems like it'd be a better method to me i'd love to try it but i can't yeah i'm I mean, pretty sure yeah i mean it, it would be worth um you know given given the people that run each individual wma whatever you call them you know give them a call and ask because i know that up here it says in the regulations that you can't use them but in many cases i've gotten the okay to use them you know just give them a call and ask them and sometimes they don't have a problem with it so it's uh it's worth checking into so on your regulations there in in west virginia are your regulations like very specific, like no climbing spikes, or does it say something like vague, like don't damage a tree or something like that? Yeah, basically no no tree damage is kind of vague. So <laughs> okay, and that's that's what ours says too, and it it kind of is where a lot of guys get confused about what's actually legal or not. But I think one of the things that I'm actually going to do is is give these places I hunt a call and see if that's something that I can, in fact, do or not do, and then try to get it in writing, yep. <laughs> um, depending on what they say. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Um, all right, man. So so moving along. So I don't know which, you, which deer you actually killed first, but you had some <laughs> out-of-state success, too, this, this season, right? Yeah, I started in uh, Wyoming chasing mule deer. Um, killed a good muley out there. That was my first trip out west. Um, went out there for the early rifle season, um, did a backpack trip into the high country and, uh, yeah, I killed a great buck the first day and my buddy killed one as well. And it was just a epic trip. I mean, I can't wait to go back out there. It was so awesome. That video that you did is on your channel, right? Yeah. Yeah. I filmed the whole thing and, uh, made a film out of it. And I was actually just watching it today, just kind of reliving the memories, but yeah, it's uh, something I'm pretty proud of. I think it turned out pretty good, and it was definitely something I'll never forget. And it looked like it was a, a really good time. I watched it, I guess, right when you first put it out, and then I just recently watched it again, and, man, it looks like a blast. Is it? Is it totally... I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. So I have a hard time justifying spending part of my season going out west somewhere when I could be taking time off work or whatever to hunt whitetails more here. Is it something right. that you did pretty easily? Like, were you all about it, or was it a tough sacrifice to you to do for you to do something like that when you could be chasing whitetails back home? Um, see, I burned eight days of vacation, which is a good bit for me, but... 100% worth it. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Um, if that was the only hunt I could do for that year, I would have been completely happy with it. I mean, I would encourage anybody really? to, to try it at least once. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was that good. <laughs> Dang. What do you think, Mike? You think we should do it? I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be fun, you know, to try just it the, at least just once. The scenery. Just the scenery out west is uh, it it's awesome. You know, I lived out in Colorado for a little bit, and uh, just the mountains. I mean, it's just guys, just nothing like it. Yeah, I think it'd be cool. I think it'd be a lot of fun. So, 
Was there a lot of strategy going into that, Jared, as far as where bucks were bedded or anything like that? Or was it kind of just like best looking spot? Is that kind of how you, how you did it? Um, yeah, I, I really used a lot of my whitetail tactics on bedding and stuff like that. Um, and a lot, I watched a lot of YouTube videos just kind of trying to figure out what kind of like vegetation types that, that you would see a lot of deer in, in these videos and stuff. And I just kind of aerial scouted and on X maps and tried to find areas that may have been overlooked and, uh, it was, it was really funny because I picked a spot on the map. It was the very first spot that I looked at, and I spent probably a good two months looking for other spots, and I never really could find anything that I liked better than this spot. So we just went for it. We drove out there, hit the trailhead. We hiked in, um, camped exactly where I marked on the map. It, was, it worked out perfect, and uh, we found two good bucks within a half mile of camp the first night and I ended up shooting my buck about a thousand yards from where we had the tent pitch. So it just worked out. It's kind of unbelievable how good it worked out. Um, I don't know if I got lucky, but I definitely used a lot of whitetail um, cyber scouting tactics for that hunt. So that was in Wyoming, right? Yeah. Western Wyoming. Yep. So what did it, if you had to guess, what would you say it cost for you to go to the DIY kind of style of hunt in Wyoming? Um, with my tag, food, and travel, I had about a thousand bucks in it altogether. Well, that's not bad at that's, all. That's um, that's you know that's without all the gear that I bought, you know, because I'm I kind of geek out on gear, yeah. and you know, <laughs> I, I like to have good stuff, so I, you know, I spent a decent amount there, but you know, that stuff I can use for every other hunt of the year. So I don't really count that, but yeah, I had about a thousand bucks in it minus the gear that I bought. Man, that's, that sounds like a pretty cool deal for you. So guys, if you're listening to this, um, Jared, is that video on both channels? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. So go watch that. It's called, um, it's like a unique name. Called. Acclimate, adapt, and overcome. That's it. Acclimate, adapt, and overcome. It's got a real cool thumbnail on it and everything. You'll see it when you get to the channel. Uh, it's a really neat video. Go watch that on the Fling and Arrows YouTube channel or uh, Hunt Appalachia. Is that how you say it? Appalachia? Yep. Yep. On Appalachia. Yep. That's it. Yeah. So, so you started off your season there got a good mule deer. So what happened after that for you? Yes. I come back to West Virginia and, uh, just kind of put my bed hunting tactics into play. Um, I had several encounters with really nice bucks, just inches from, you know, getting a kill. Um, I had a really nice mature nine pointer that I'd located. He was using this bedding area. Um, I actually saw him on an observation sit, right outside this bedding area and I watched what he did and I moved in the next day and he did the same exact thing. And I had him at 22 yards just with some branches and stuff in the way and ended up not getting a shot at him. Um, I got on another good buck on public land, um, had him at 25 yards, no shot. Um, I missed a buck. 
So I got up into late October. Um, I did end up killing the doe. Um, then I moved on to Ohio, which I usually do during the rut. And uh, yeah, I can kind of go over my hunt in Ohio. Um, hunted there, let's see, when was it? Second week of November. I went over four, five days and uh, several shooter bucks. I mean, just same deal. Just it was like they were, you know, they'd, they'd skirt out of range or brush blocking them or whatever, just couldn't get a shot. And uh, I had the biggest buck on our place under 20 yards the very first day and didn't get a shot at him. And uh, yeah, it kind of shut off after that. It was pretty slow. And then the morning of, I think it was November 12th, um, really nice buck come cruising in, 15 yards, uh, heart shot him. He runs 80 yards and falls over dead. And uh, I hear a buck, or I hear something coming behind me, and I turn around, and that, that big buck that I've been after is standing at 15 yards with no clue that I'm there, and I've already filled my tags. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it works, man always yeah i mean yeah it's it's funny but i'm kind of glad it worked out that way it gives me something to look forward to next year right right exactly and so is that um is that on private land or on public land yeah we lease some um, 62 acres over there it's it's pretty small okay. but it's uh it's it's right in the middle of a really good area. We've got really good surrounding property, so it, it sets up really nice. Man. So sixty two acres. How many of y'all are on that sixty two acres? So there's four of us on the lease, but at any given time there's usually only two of us there. So the way it lays out is we have really good access to every spot. So we kind of keep the pressure to a minimum. It's not too bad. So if you hunt it smart, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty good, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's not really big, but it's just, yeah, it's got a lot of edge to it. A lot of different blocks of different cover types and it really works out nice. So do you find like that where you hunt in West Virginia is super different from what you do in Ohio, as far as your tactics and things that you're using and finding buck bedding and just deer bedding in general. So I know for me, like we went to Kentucky and I hunted Florida this year and Texas and all compared to Alabama, like everything is totally different. So are you finding like similarities there versus Ohio and, and West Virginia? Um, the area that we hunt in Ohio is actually pretty close to, to the West Virginia line. It's not too far, but the terrain is very similar. Um, cover types are similar, you know, so the deer move a lot of the same way. So that, that part's, you know, pretty much the same, but just the deer quality is just so much better. I mean, if you put in five days of hunting over there, you're, you're going to have an opportunity at something, you know, usually, you know, not, not always, but. It just seems like if you put your time in over there, um, you're generally going to get a shot at something. Um, West Virginia's in that regard is just a whole lot harder. Right. How far, like mileage wise, is where you hunt in West Virginia from where you hunt in Ohio? 
Yeah, it's only about a two-hour drive, so it's not too bad. So that's what's so crazy to me is that only two hours can separate some of the best deer hunting in the country from something that's average or below average um, in West Virginia. That's just crazy. So do you think, Jared, that that has something to do with, like, the laws? Like, you guys can shoot three bucks in West Virginia – that's pretty steep. Like that's a lot of that's a lot of deer. We do the same thing here in Alabama, but you know, do you think that has contributed to yep. why the deer population is so much higher in Ohio? Yeah, it's one buck limit. Um, there's no rifle season. There is a shotgun and a muzzleloader season, but they're fairly short. So West Virginia has a two week rifle season and a three buck limit. So at I think that's the difference. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. Ours is like uh, three months long. <laughs> <laughs> three and yeah. a half months We long, have like, it's, it's like November the 21st or 13th or something it, like that. Somewhere in the middle of November. Yeah. It's usually like the third week in November, like around the 20th, 21st. And so... And it runs through like February 10th, and that's just our rifle season. Our bow season is only like a month longer than that, um, like the middle of September. So, wow, man, I would really like to see Alabama eventually. I don't think they'll ever do it because there'd just be like a ton of mad hunters. Um, but I see the quality of bucks that Alabama could have, um, you know, if we had a less liberal bag limit, you know, like I think with a little bit shorter of a rifle season, first off, um, maybe not as liberal bag limits. I think we could see a lot higher deer numbers. I, and I sound like a hypocrite because <laughs> I took full advantage of that. Um, the last few years killing three bucks, but you know, I'd love to see something like that happen where we could, we could go, do a little bit of work on improving not just the quality of deer, but the number of deer where you could take a guy out for the first time on public land. Who's never killed a deer and they'd have an opportunity to kill one. Right. I think that would be really cool. I think it would be beneficial for everybody. Yeah. I mean, all I was saying is even within our own state, um, we have four counties in the very Southern end of West Virginia that are bow only and you can kill one buck. And the quality of the deer down there is absolutely unreal. I mean, 200-inch bucks every year, somebody's killing a 200-inch buck down there. I mean, it's it's pretty common thing. It's it's unreal, just the difference. Yeah, Mike, it's kind of like um, you know the the WMA that we hunted in Alabama. It's only open for like that first part of the season for like nine days. Um, they only open. <laughs> yeah. They only open for like nine days. This year they opened it for 16, but but normally it's only nine, and it's bow only. And just the quality of deer that are out there, it's it's insane. We went scouting in there, and it was like, what did you, you and Andrew filmed like nine bucks that day, right? Yeah. Well, no, it was nine bucks in one bachelor night. And right, then, and they right. were, wow. and they were all, all together. Like, all besides one were eight point or better. I mean, hmm. you see that kind of what what could Alabama actually produce, 
And it's hard not to wonder a little bit sometimes what could yeah. happen with that. Um, yep, for sure. Well, dude, so we're getting up on an hour here, but I asked a question on the Saddle Hunter Facebook page. And if you are a saddle hunter and you're listening to this or you want to know more about saddle hunting, I would highly recommend going to Facebook and finding the saddle hunter um, group page. And man, everything you could possibly want to know is going to be on there. Also on the saddle hunter forum at saddlehunter.com. But I asked on there if anybody had any questions for you, Jared, Um, you are an admin of that page which is a pretty big deal. So um, (laughs) I just got made a manager on the page and seeing how many people want to join that page every single day. It's insane, dude. I don't know how y'all did it with just you and Greg. It's crazy. Yeah. So the first comment is ask easy questions. That's from you, Um, Jared. So, you wanted just some easy ones. So I'm going to ask these real quick. I'm going to just going to ask you to give like the quickest answer that you possibly could just to kind of end this podcast. Okay. So mayo or ketchup? Uh, ketchup. <laughs> Definitely ketchup. I'd go ketchup as well. All right. This guy asked <laughs> for your hunting locations by GPS coordinates. <laughs> Are you willing to give that out? Yeah. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one of our own, Mr. Tyler Malone, he <laughs> asked you to talk about your your climbing methods while using a saddle. So you don't have to go into full detail, but what are the different uh, methods that you use to climb while you're saddle Yeah, hunting? so the climbing spikes, uh, climbing sticks, and the uh, preset bolts are probably my main three. I've also done the wild edge steps. Um one stick method. Um, I'm thinking that's about it. <laughs> so, so you did your own DIY sticks, correct? Yes. Yep. So, did you do like a video of that on any of your channels, like a how-to or anything? No, I didn't. Um, I didn't make one. But if you uh, if you follow the uh, DIY sports on YouTube, he he has a video, and I made. I made my set pretty much the same as his. So if you want to check his out. Okay. Awesome. So Tyler, I hope that answers your question, man. All right. So moving on, this guy, Dave says he wants to know how you do scent control and your favorite feature to hunt like terrain feature. Are you doing anything for scent control? I do absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, Dave, there you go. I've tried different things. I've done, um, I'm just not consistent enough with it, really. Um, I play the wind. I, I try to pick the best tree that works with the wind and the thermals. Uh, I throw milkweed continuously, and I just really try to tailor my setups to what the wind is doing in that location. So you can't really go by the weather channel. You just have to get out there and figure out what it's doing at that spot and then go from there, and that's what I do. It's perfect. And that's uh, pretty much the same thing I do. Yeah. And I think he asked what so, my favorite terrain feature was. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say a bench on a, the leeward side of a ridge. 
There it is. I would have to agree with that. Especially this year. I killed my biggest buck this year like that. Yep. So so can you explain kind of what a bench is? Somebody who maybe isn't familiar with that, what that is, and also what a leeward side of the ridge is. Yeah, so a bench is basically just a flat spot on the side of the ridge. They don't have to be very big. I've found buck beds on some pretty small benches. Um, any flat spot that's near the top third, or you know, the military crest of the hill, um, and leeward side is basically just the downwind side of the, you know, the predominant wind, which is southwest here. So any northeast or north um, side of the ridge is usually pretty good. Yeah, and and I go into detail, guys, if you're listening to this, on one of our videos. Jared goes into detail on one of his videos of his setup on a buck bed with a buck that he killed, and um, it's really good. I go into a little more detail, too, on our most recent video on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel in early December. The buck that I killed, the biggest one I killed this year, was almost the exact same setup. So if you're interested in more, learning more about that, check out those two videos. Also check out the huntingbeast.com forum if you want to know more about that. So here's some of my favorite. Greg Godfrey asks, um, why are you such a bad hunter? <laughs> Do you have an answer for that? I'm a bad, bad pig hunter. Um, so we did Saddlepalooza last year down in Fort Stewart, <laughs> and I hunted for like three or four days, and I never even saw a pig, so... I'm a bad pig hunter. I would totally agree, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He asks, was it your sister or your cousin that stood you up at the prom? He can't remember. All right, say it again. Say it again. You broke up. I said, was it your sister or your cousin that stood you up at the prom? I think there's a West Virginia <laughs> joke in here somewhere. It was my sister, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's picking on us West Virginia boy. <laughs> so how many banjos do you own Greg asks uh six six do you really have any banjos at all no I don't I'm a guitar player so <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay alright so he asks why is Grant so much better better at saddle hunting than you uh, he's not, you know, Grant's a good friend of mine and maybe he'll listen to this. I don't know. I've, I've tried to teach him all that I know, but man, he just does not listen very well. So <laughs> he did kill a buck this year. So maybe, maybe I'm rubbing off on him. Yeah. I just watched a video. <laughs> did he actually kill two bucks this year? Yeah, he did actually. Yeah. He killed two. I saw one, um, just recently that he shot. The ant the antler fell off of it when he was recovering it. Yeah, the antler fell off of it. that. Was pretty cool. All right. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Greg's got one more question for you, and he says, "Why is he allowed to talk in public with him being a filthy ginger and all?" <laughs> Same reason bigots are allowed to talk in public, Greg. <laughs> so for anybody who doesn't know that's greg godfrey and he is one of the founders of the tethered mantis g2 outdoors we've had him on the podcast 
Really good dude. One of our favorite people. Um, I'm pretty sure all these are joking <laughs> questions, but maybe just a little bit of seriousness to them all. <laughs> but, you know, I don't really know that any of it was actually about hunting at all. Yeah. So, I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I guess we're going to, I guess we're going to end on, on, uh, the question about you yeah. being a filthy ginger. Uh, I'm just kidding, man. But for real, it's been a good time talking with you and man, Mike, do you have any more questions for Jared? No, I don't think so. Great. Maybe, uh, awesome. maybe we can, maybe we can go up to, uh, Ohio one day or West Virginia and, uh, do a hunt with yeah, you. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I think that'd be yeah, tight. Yeah, come on up. Listen, if you're if you're taking us to that that sixty two acre honey hole, then we'll be there first of the season next year. <laughs> I I can All say right, that man, with confidence. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but for real, it's been a really good time getting to talk to you. Is there anywhere where our listeners can find out more about some of the stuff that you're doing? Can you kind of point them in that direction where they can follow along with you? Yeah, so on YouTube, I actually run two YouTube accounts. So Flinging Arrows is uh, is my oldest one. I have a lot of hunts that go way back on there um, since I started self-filming. And uh, I run another one with my buddy, Grant Lemon. It's called Hunt Appalachia. And we kind of do a joint thing on there where we both upload videos. And, uh, yeah, there's some pretty good hunts on there. So get on there and check them out. Hope you guys like them. Fantastic. Well, Jared, it has been awesome getting to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, Parker, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Well, that is going to be it for this episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Big, huge thanks to Jared Schaefer for coming on. You guys, make sure to go check him out on Hunt Appalachia and um, Flinging Arrows. Also, Jared is a very big personality on the Saddle Hunter Forum on thehuntingbeast.com. Lots of places that you could connect with him. So go and do that. He's a great guy. He's got a lot of knowledge. Very successful. Um, And I can pretty much say with confidence that this is not going to be the last that you hear from Jared. As far as we're concerned, we're going to be talking to him a lot more in the future. um, Doing some things with him. Trying to think if there's anything else that you guys need to know about. Um, and I don't think there is y'all if your season is still going if you're here in Alabama with us I know you guys still have a lot of the season a lot of you guys still haven't even got to see the rut yet and that is going to be coming up soon for you so I wish you guys the best of luck as always big thanks to our partners people that support us believe in everything they do that's uh, Tethered, New Breed, Archery and Onyx Maps and Go Wild Again, go and check out the giveaway that Go Wild is doing right now on the Garmin Phoenix 5S watch. It's a really cool giveaway. If you guys are at ATA show this weekend, I hope you guys are having fun. I am not going to be there. Michael is not going to be there. We've got work and things to do. We're super bummed about it. But if you are at the ATA show, hit us up. Let us know what cool products you are looking forward to coming out this year. I know there's going to be a lot of cool stuff this year that I have already heard about. So... Um, let us know about those things. Check us out on YouTube. That's at the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. We've got some cool videos on there. Some pretty successful hunts that I've gotten to have this season. It's been a great season. So check us out there on the YouTube channel, on Instagram, at Southern Ground Hunting, on, at Facebook, at Southern Ground Hunting. 
keep up with the things we're doing. We're doing some giveaways. We're doing some cool stuff. Like I said, there's a lot of cool things coming up in the year 2019. Hope you guys have kicked off this year with a bang. Hopefully it's been awesome. I can only promise good things coming in 2019. So, with that said, God has given you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So make sure you go and exercise that dominion. We will talk to you next time.